0: Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your host, Brad Redding. And I have another special guest for you this week, Miko from Woolman. Woolman is what the largest, I think, I'll let you clarify, but one of, if not the largest Shopify Plus agency in Europe. Today, we are going to be digging into Miko's expertise in really just tracking and measurement when it comes to the European Union and everything that goes on with privacy, policy, et cetera, as well as just getting into some D2C risk assessments. Miko, thanks for joining. I'll let you do your own little quick bio, and and then we'll jump right into it. Thanks, Brad. It's it's a pleasure
1: to be here. So Woolman is Europe's biggest Shopify Plus partner, and we were actually just rewarded as the partner of the year by Shopify in 2022 in Europe. And our invention called LS Insights, which is a data management platform, was was praised by Shopify. So we have been in business uh, soon six years, and we have been helping more than 200 customers, some of our customers are such as Post Power Tools, Futcher, AIM, Aiken, and HM Group and, and others. So really much helping those like enterprise level Shopify Plus customers.
0: Awesome. I know we have limited time, so we're gonna go really fast today. Measuring for brands within the European Union, the do's and don'ts. I'm gonna kick it off to you. This is your world. You live in here on a day-to-day basis. I know we have some mutual customers that we obviously work with in the tracking side. So what are some of the do's and don'ts that, again, you see and advise with
1: your customers that obviously a heavy EU base? Sure. Thanks, Brad. It's it's a real like hot potato. I would say like number one, which we sort of like help our customers with is, is to follow the discussion that what's actually going on, what's truth, what's not truth. So my number one like do is that, hey, please calm, please don't do anything hasty. We've seen some enterprise level customers in the EU doing as example so that they will just like toss Google Analytics and they don't have a backup plan. Yeah. So that's obvious. Please don't do that. Don't um, just rip
0: out Google Analytics and just
1: <laughs> forget about analytics.
0: And I assume, are they doing that because some of the lawsuits and things that are coming out declaring Google Analytics illegal?
1: Yes. And and the situation as example in France and now also in Finland has been like a bit shady. So my, my number one advice would be just to wait and see what's actually like happening. Of course, our job is to make sure that our customers are running operations in a legal manner. But as these are still like ongoing cases, we can't say that this is right or this is wrong. So that would be like one of my advice here. And then the second part is that not all have moved to GA4. Not that many have even a great data layer, which is as reliable as LLR solution. So that's my, my second recommendation that when you start an operation, you should start from there we are helping kind of many brands who are doing so-called like D2C launches. So typically like traditional retail brands that want to now go in D2C. And they are thinking about analytics is something that you could start with after six months or after a year. But we are then like correcting them that, hey, you need to get that done since the day one when it's been launched. So that's again like uh
0: something. So that last one, I think that's one we also see quite a bit is, can someone get Tunnel vision on I'm only worried about like, what's, what am I doing today? And what am I doing this week? And not necessarily thinking six months down the road. So we take that same advice when it comes to Google ads or any other platform marketing channel that you might advertise in the future, because if you don't implement that tracking today, but six months from now, you decide I want to turn on Google ads. You're starting essentially, with Google Ads is starting at zero. There's no data, there's no audience, there's nothing that they have. So start today just to build it up, just in case you end up wanting to turn that on in the future. So that's, you're mentioning analytics as well. So you're seeing some that are not really moving forward with GA4 or any analytics implementation because they're not necessarily
1: using it today. Did I get that right? Fully agree there. And on top of that, I would like to add that. Quite many are also struggling with like their first party data. So what we are then recommending that if you are, as example, running on Klaviyo or, or using Jotpo, that you would use them to the full extent that you are actually like, collecting data, trying to understand that who are the customers and then compare that with all of the visitor data and everything that you are able to gather. What I personally love are the post purchase service, really important data points that you can grab for there to have that like full understanding of customers. And what we've seen a lot in Europe is that there is huge demand for Shopify POS as well. So quite many of our D2C brands are now going physical after the pandemic. So that's again, like a great source to, to gather more data and have that like holistic understanding on every single, single customer of yours.
0: Interesting. So what are you seeing with just consent coverage? So CookieBot, OneTrust, and all the hundreds of other ones out there. Are you seeing with your brands that operate in Europe, are they are you at 100% coverage where everybody has something in place?
1: Oh, I love the question. <laughs> so what I see at the moment is that people are very concerned and if you are running as example Google advertisement, Google has been sending messages to the customers that you need to have this in place or other if you don't your your advertising stops tomorrow. So I would say that over ninety five percent of our customers are running with some solution. What I see a lot is that they haven't installed it quite kind of correctly. It's actually like not legal per se. So what we are helping our customers with that, when you need to get that really done, then trust an expert, trust a Shopify Plus partner, an agency who can help you out with that. And it becomes especially tricky if you have like multiple stores, which is very useful in Europe. So much running with the Shopify markets setup, but quite many, if you're in an enterprise level, you might have like 20 or 15 Shopify Plus stores in different markets, or that you're running in a setup where you have multiple brands. So you would need to be having a rock solid set up in every single store. It's not enough that you have done your best store correctly and you have everything there in place, but then you have forgotten the others. And then the other part of that is that if you um, sort of like install any of these incorrectly, then you definitely have issues both on Google Analytics and also on Shopify's analytics. I've even seen cases where they are getting like zero data in as they have done that installation in the wrong wrong manner. So really much, Uh, hoping that brands who are like taking D2C seriously would also consider getting help here. This is a major thing to get right. So it's a drastic thing from my perspective.
0: A lot to unpack there. So I'm going to try to restate some of what you just went through. Shopify markets versus having 10, 15, 20 different unique sites. You mentioned that it's some are going Shopify markets where for those that don't necessarily know what that is, it's You have a single checkout and you can essentially change your currency and other locale specific options within that single checkout versus what we've seen for many years, where if you wanted to operate across different countries, then you typically would have your .com, your .co.uk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What percentage are you seeing going to Shopify markets versus staying with that individual store? Yeah, really good
1: question. I think like eventually when you go back a few months, it was something like 25% were going to Shopify markets. But lately, as they announced some changes now where when we are like building new stores to our customers or replatforming them to Shopify Plus from commercial tools or other platforms, now it seems to be over 80%. So it's increasing really rapidly. And that's due to changes they have done. But also the other part, this is like behind there is the Shopify announced their Shopify B2B functionality. So that has been a driving force there. Quite many are going with uh, Shopify markets and Shopify B2B at the very same time.
0: What are some of the changes within the Shopify markets that moved you from 25 to 80%? Was it a couple missing features? If so, can you articulate what those are?
1: Well, there are like three major matters. Number one is that the app support, so the app support has gotten on a better level. In the very beginning, there were like, what's something like five apps that support Shopify markets. And Shopify has been really like struggling with the fact that app developers have not been too keen to develop their solutions for Shopify markets. As they have their main focus in the North America, you have like a single market, which is actually great. But then the issue is that in Europe, you have so many currencies so many markets and complexity coming from there. And same goes with ASIA as well. So that that has been like number one thing that these big app developers onboarded this thing and on like giving this support that you can now more easily get a functional operation together. And then second thing, of course, is that they are now pushing that it actually works. So when it was published, from my perspective, it was more of a public beta. But now it actually starts to work with the currencies. And if you have Shopify payments, then it's really like makes sense to run that operation. Purely the quality is now there that you can run an operation more easily and bigger brands are like, like willing to invest their swap. Well. Yeah. Got it. All right.
0: So you mentioned, I'm going to go back to your point about implementations can go wrong. So 95 plus percent have a consent integration in place, but a certain percentage are not implemented properly, which can cause 0% data collection where generally you wouldn't expect that. Can you describe, if you know, if you're aware, how are these implementations going wrong? I don't know how technical you can get into the, the specifics of it because we see it.
1: We see it too. (laughs) <laughs> well, luckily I'm not a developer, but on a like upper level scale, number one thing is that you need to do that in a process. You need to first make sure that you're following the guidelines that Shopify has given. So making sure that you are doing the installation right, you are having the setup done correctly in your Shopify settings. Next, very big thing is to choose a partner that you can rely on. There are tons of these uh, (laughs) options on the market. And I would say from my perspective, that as we have been testing them at Woolman with our customers, there are like five to seven that are really doing the job right. And then there are like tons that are doing a horrible job that are actually like getting that kind of a pop-up intent on the site, but it really doesn't matter if you hit yes or no, doesn't really do the trick. Where it's not enabling the cookies or blocking the cookies that... Correct. And that's definitely an issue. And quite many, especially like mid-range or smaller merchants, are just going with the solution that is the fastest or the cheapest or whatever, but they don't understand what kind of mess that might make. And if I would be like really honest, my, my opinion there is that Shopify should have this bit better in their like hands to comment that, hey, at least taking those solutions that are not <laughs> capable of doing the job away from the app store. But that's just like purely my personal opinion.
0: Yeah, that's a big one. I, I think we're even seeing that just in the States in North America with CCPA and the growing compliance where typically it's been GDPR is the, you have to opt into tracking and CCPA and some of their guidelines have been users just need to opt out, but that's starting to change a little bit. Yeah. And then the generic cookie banner that doesn't do anything, you just throw it up there, that still can potentially leave you open to compliance issues and regulators coming after you with the fines and, and all of that. Okay, so that's uh anything else you want to share with the, the do's and don'ts in terms of
1: measurement within Europe? Well, then like the sec- second part is very important that you should do a deep dive in all of your purchase data. And that's something that you need to have a, a sort of like data strategy in place and, and figure out that what have people actually been purchasing. And that's something that I see quite many brands are doing pretty light. They are doing a weekly analysis or a monthly analysis, but no one is doing actually a deep diving in that kind of data. I really understand that as example, now when the stores are again open here in Europe, people are shopping more in brick and mortar stores and then they might consume different type of products or different type of variants that you should be aware of this huge change, which we see a lot. So what we are doing a lot is that we are consulting our customers and data that we are like constantly doing data studies and others to make sure that they will be aligned and understand the shift in the economy. It's very strong in Europe, especially due to Ukraine war, inflation, energy prices, and all of that. So we have a pretty good mess altogether and, and they should understand that what kind of environment we are now at.
0: Yeah. And the purchase data analysis is this, Analytics tools, is it just digging into your product segments and customer cohorts within just Shopify data?
1: Yeah, so I would say like the basic level data is that you're absolutely at least checking like Shopify data using Google Analytics data. And then if you want to do a a, even more deep dive, then you can use like other tools. Uh, I know that in the US you have something like glue on the market. Or quite many are using Dacity. We have our, our LAs in Europe, which is slightly more for the European perspective where you're running, running on multiple markets. So such tools help you to really understand that what's happening in your demand, what's happening in your customer segments and uh, how to sort of like navigate in, in this uncertainty. What
0: are some of the, like the Dacity for Europe? What would you consider that would, their counterpart in Europe? What's the solution that is most popular, a couple of solutions that might be most popular?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. I think that there is nothing directly there. The difference in Europe and, and US is that in, in many European countries, they are not selling that strongly on Amazon. Amazon hasn't quite landed there. So you're then selling mainly online, D2C. Then you are selling in your own store with, with Shopify POS or something else. And then you are using selected retailers or marketplaces. Quite many of these marketplaces can already be synced on Shopify. We have our L lists. We have quite big customers using it like bus Power Tools. Bacon and a few others, like really big DTC brands in Europe. Then there, of course, are other alternatives on the market. But what I see is that there is no big player there. Quite many are using some CDP tools. Clavio is definitely a really much used one. Or then some are using Breed, or so similar. But the issue typically there is that they are kind of tricky to use with the data. So you really need to have an internal data team to figure out all of that. And that becomes a barrier for those like mid, mid-range brands. Do you see anybody
0: starting to build their own data warehouse? So using GA4, pipe that data in a big query and just start
1: adding Looker analysis on top? Yes, our biggest customers are definitely there. But then you are typically in the race that you are selling more than 50 million online a year. I would say that some smaller are doing it. I know like few that are in the range of 20, 30 million annually are, are going there. But for quite many, they have understood that it's somewhat fail like risk as investment that they don't want to do it, or they are looking for a light sort of like solution first before they are like investing in sort of like external resources. From my own background, because I was back in the day a Shopify Plus merchant with really big brands, the issue there was that if you get sort of like one external guy there, then you suddenly learn a lot. The learning curve is very steep, but then it stops. Nobody is asking the right questions, and you don't have that team together. So my expertise would show that if you are really doing it, then you would need to have like an internal data team that can also challenge each other and really like provide that insight. So therefore, we are actually doing that as a service for our customers, which is fun. Got it.
0: Let's transition into just the general risk assessment. So how, how to address the looming uncertainty. Obviously, in Europe, almost globally, we're all facing amounts of uncertainty, which obviously differs based on specific regions, countries. But what are your thoughts and what are you seeing with your customers in Europe and your brands in Europe? Love it. My father actually used to work for Eastman Kodak back in the days, a great, great American brand. I'm from Rochester, New York originally. So I had a lot, I had a lot of family
1: that lived that worked for Kodak, small world. So they did like corporate security and also risk assessment extremely well. And what I love that they did think about all of these things in their like, I would say like weekly actions. And what I also noticed is that, that these big retail chains in Europe are doing the same. But which, what really bothers me is that D2C brands or, or brands that are now selling D2C aren't doing that much of that they're like hey it's online it's it's supposed to be easy it's not it's actually as complicated as traditional retail sort of like big spots in europe's have been traditional like payments and logistics that you are like re- relying on a single payment provider or you are then relying on a single logistics provider and what happens if that goes belly up and then you're like my whole business is here so what we are then recommending together with Shopify, that you would have like multiple vendors, especially in logistics, maybe in payments as well. Don't put all, all of your eggs to a single basket. Is that more common?
0: Do you see turnover and payments and logistics? Do you see a fairly frequent turnover in, in Europe? Yes,
1: yes. But I also see lots of uncertainty because when we look at the data, it's like market specific. For so example, when you go to the world of logistics, it might be that in in UK, certain players are strong. When you go to Germany, it's a completely different setup. And then when you enter a smaller market, such as Sweden or Finland, again, like local players there. So if you're running a Europe-wide operation, then you would need to make sure that you are like thinking about the big picture. So you're not just like optimizing for a single market, but you're looking at the whole and making sure that customers in whatever country would be satisfied. Again, one thing in comparison, which is much easier in the States, I I do admire you for that. So there's definitely much more complexity here in the market. And there is like, when that being said, we have been analyzing these partners with, with our customers. They, they are really risky. There are certain players in certain countries where I would sort of like estimate that uh, during this year, they won't, someone survive. And what if you have relied your whole business on a such partner, then you are in, in deep, deep
0: trouble. Yeah, so if you're trying, if you're selling through Germany, through Finland, et cetera, and your logistics provider or payment provider goes out of business because of, economic conditions, then the ramp up time to find someone else and do whatever you have to do to get back online in that specific country
1: is going to be significant. Totally. And I'm not like throwing anyone under the bus, but as example, if you have been following the news, what happened to Klarna like past months, that's really like, it's something that you need to notice and and you think that what would be my plan B if something goes wrong. And that is being said with all of the payment providers and logistic partners in Europe. And of course, all of your other partners as well, whether you are running in marketing or something else, then making sure that uh, things don't always go that smooth as they have in the past. Yeah. So
0: you are just to try to summarize that brick and mortar retailers. You're seeing the those brands that potentially have that the more experience they're doing a weekly SWOT analysis on. All right. Here's our biggest risks, you know, one to 10, whatever it might be. And. What are we going to put in place to mitigate our largest risks? And those may change on a weekly or monthly basis based on what's happening in the economy or potentially just in their business. If you contrast that to primarily DTC brands that may not have that expertise in-house or even know to go through the process, you don't see them doing that as much. So it's that consultative education process of you have to start doing this because here's the reality of what can happen with logistics and payment providers that go out and just helping coach them through that process. Precisely. Interesting. So logistics and payments you mentioned, are there any other big risk assessments that you're seeing or anything that just your customers are potentially thinking about as they look ahead to 2023?
1: Yeah, really good question. I see sort of like high risk in certain industries, such as like activewear or home decor. They are very much struggling with excess inventory issue that they have stocked too much and they don't know quite what to do with that stock Should I start discounting? Should I start going with retailers? Should I find a outlet partner to get rid of the stuff? What happens to my margins and all of that? So we've noticed that in certain industries in Europe, they are like really much in struggle. And there are typically industries that have done extremely well during the pandemic. And now everything sort of like changed. And, And if I would do a quick analysis on which are the ones that are still like doing pretty okay, it's those who are running their operation, not only online, but also like offline, especially with their own channel, whether it's a a, a like physical location or whether they're doing pop-ups, but they are really like trying to understand the market and stay on top of what's going on. So they are they are actually doing pretty well in comparison to those that are just digital and are in an industry which is not doing that extremely well right now.
0: Yeah, Miko, this has been great. I've I've learned a lot. I'm sorry we don't have more time. Uh so we'll have to get you back on here soon. I, I think just the insights and The expertise that you bring because a lot of brands they're international now and they don't have your your grassroots expertise so thank you for coming on and sharing how can people get in touch with you or uh woolman any anything else you want to share and i don't know if you're a linkedin twitter guy or something else but yeah feel free to uh share how people can get in touch with you thanks
1: brad it's it's been a pleasure so woolman.co is our website and i'm very active on linkedin so Please, uh, you can send me a message anytime and I'll definitely get back to you. And we are definitely like helping quite many U.S. agencies also in Europe because they are not, they don't have the expertise in, in Europe. So we are then helping brands to come here and making sure that they would, they would have some market share here.
0: Oh, interesting. So you'll collaborate. So you'll take an agency that's just based in the U.S. and you'll collaborate with that agency as, as that brand starts to expand or is already
1: there, but might be missing out on some key factors. Correct. Correct. So that's our service offering these days that we are helping uh, with some some global brands uh, and they enter, entering the European market. Yeah, that's really smart.
0: Alrighty. Well, uh, that's a wrap. I'm going to uh, stop the recording here. And well, there's a bunch of links and that I'll, I'll get from you, Miko, after I put in the show notes just around different tools. And, Did uh, you enjoy today's episode? To learn more if about. so, we release two new episodes per week. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else that you subscribe and listen to your podcasts. I also have a favor to ask. I'd really appreciate if you could leave a comment or review so I can learn exactly how to improve future episodes for you. And last but not least, if you want to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn by searching Brad Redding at Elevar. That's E-L-E-V-A-R. Or you can DM me on Twitter. My handle is I am Brad Redding. I look forward to connecting with you. Thanks again.